Now, several years ago, Jimmy Kimball, who is a late-night talk show host, asked parents to give their kids bad Christmas presents and to videotape it. I've shared this uh, video on Christmas Eve's in the past, actually, but I want to share it with you now because it's... You get to open for Christmas. Merry Christmas! I love a jar of pickles for Christmas. I love pickles. No, not that. No broccoli. No broccoli. No broccoli. What is it? Toothpaste. What are these? Deodorant. What's deodorant? Keeps your armpits smelling good. She's going to get here. Are you happy? Do you like your Christmas present? supposed to be Hester. Christmas Day, Santa will bring you a car. <laughs> oh, what's the matter? Don't you like broccoli? Kimmel. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, if 
Thanks, everyone. Here's here's the thing. Here's the thing. Christmas has become a funny thing in our culture, hasn't it? We make lists of the things we want, and then we expect them to be underneath the Christmas tree come Christmas morning. And when they aren't, when this kind of thing happens, disappointment reigns. Disappointment happens. Sadness, anger, disappointment. Now, have you ever thought about the where where disappointment comes from? I mean, this this isn't PhD level psychology. We all do this. We make plans, we cast visions, we set expectations for ourselves, and when those do not happen, when things don't go as planned, when our vision doesn't become a reality, then disappointment takes its place. When the calendar turned from 2019 to 2020, I was so excited for what 2020 had in store, for what Restoration Church, where we were going, what we felt like God was calling us to do. We had so many incredible plans. We had expectations of what that year was going to be for us. We were going to build a coffee shop within this newly renovated uh, expansion to this building. It was going to be an incredible year that was going to start amazing things for our community. And then March 15th rolled around, 2020 does what 2020 does, shuts the world down, and those plans are dashed to the ground, and the vision was radically changed. We stalled, and we were wrestling with all sorts of disappointment, week after week, wrestling with disappointment. And I'm not alone, right? How many of you have been disappointed in life? Every single hand I would expect to be raised at this point, okay? We've all been disappointed in life at some point or another. You had expectations, and People let you down, right? You made plans for your future, and those plans never became a reality. You cast a vision for the type of people your kids were going to be, and and now you're seeing that those kids aren't the type of people you thought they were going to be. You you went into that job interview expecting the job, and and you didn't get it. You said your vows, and you expected your husband to be faithful, and he wasn't, right? You, you, You got pregnant, and you expected a healthy child, and the child wasn't. And, and then a lot of us actually feel like God is the one letting us down when disappointment happens. Anybody ever been there, if we're honest, right? Sometimes when life doesn't go the way that we expected it, when life doesn't go the way that we wanted, when we had planned, then how often of us tend to point our fingers upward and say, God, why aren't you giving me what I wanted? Why aren't you giving me what I expected? Why aren't you giving me what I planned, God? Somehow, if you were all good, if you were all powerful, then you would want my happiness. And here I am, disappointment. Here I am, saddened. Here I am, angered. So, God, where are you in the midst of all this? Do you even care, God? Do you, do you even love me? And, and let's just pause right there, because I want to interject something that we, especially as Americans, need to hear. God's will, God's best for us, God's plan for us, is not for us to be happy. Never in scripture are you going to find that God says, I want your happiness above all else. I want you to be happy. No, you know what it says? Above all else, I want you to be like Christ. That's God's will. That is God's plan, not our happiness. No, confirmation into Christ's likeness. When you are like Christ, you will experience joy in abundance, but your circumstances may not always be happy. Do you, do you think Jesus was happy in that filthy, grungy manger? Do you think Jesus was happy when he heard his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded? Do you think Jesus was happy at the death of his, his friend Lazarus? Do you think Jesus was happy when he was being spat on and beaten and having needles pierced through his hands and his feet? Happiness was never God's goal for us because happiness is a transient emotion based in circumstances and it has never been promised that we will never be disappointed and that every circumstance will be pleasing. That has never been promised to us. 
But it is promised that we will become like Christ if we continue to pursue him in this life and fully into the next. So what do you do when you feel disappointed? Right? It's natural. We've all felt it. We've all experienced. We've all admitted that we've all been disappointed at times. And to answer that story, I want to dig into the Christmas story as told by Matthew and Luke. So if you have text with you, we're going to start in uh, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. If you don't, otherwise, words will be on the screen. It's fun. To give you the context of Luke chapter 2, it had been 400 years since they had heard from God. We talked about that intertestamental period uh, last week, I think. And it's been 400 years that they'd heard from God, but now this child, this Messiah is being born. Angels are beginning to declare the will and the purpose of God again to the world. And the angel appears to the shepherd and says, do not be afraid. I bring you good news. So friends, who is ready for some good news today? In the midst of disappointment and when the midst of... When life seems uncertain, we need good news, right? I come to bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. Now, what I love about this is that if if we needed advice, God would have sent a counselor. And if if, if we needed new laws, God would have sent a lawyer. And if we needed uh, education, then God would have sent a teacher. But we needed forgiveness, right? We needed hope. We needed restoration. We we needed healing. And so God sends a savior. And suddenly, we're told in verse 13, the angel was joined by a vast amount of others. The armies of heaven are beginning to declare the majesty and the greatness of God. Glory to God in the highest heavens and peace on earth to those in whom God is pleased. Peace on earth. And what we're going to see here is in this story is that there is nothing peaceful about the story. Isn't it funny? Like the angels come and declare peace on earth, peace on earth. And this story of Mary and Joseph in the birth of Jesus, it is ridden with anything but peace. You're probably familiar with the story. Even if you're not a Christian, you're probably familiar with the characters and the plot line of the Christmas story. It's a story of the young couple that navigates what feels like betrayal and deceit and relationship, devastation and and I don't want you to hear the story like you've heard it a, a, a hundred times over. I want you to try to imagine that there were very real people with very real plans, very real expectations. They had a, an idea of where their life was going, and God interrupts this plan. And they feel unfairly criticized, hated, shamed, humiliated at very parts in the story. And they have this traumatic birth followed by a nightmare that is, they're running as fugitives for their lives, right? Herod is trying to kill them. And all this trouble and all this disappointment because they were trying to do exactly what God had called them to do. They were trying to obey God. They are simply trying to follow God. They are trying to do God's will. And yet nothing about this story is peaceful. God comes into their life and says, I have a purpose for you. And here's my plan for you. And here's what I'm hoping that you will accomplish. And it is going to be hardship after hardship after hardship after disappointment after disappointment after hardship. You up for it? Yeah. Let's do it. Let's modernize the story just for fun. I'm going to tell you the story kind of like it's happening in today, uh, but it's not, of course. This is a modern, modernization of the story, but you can imagine what it might be like. Imagine Joe has the perfect proposal plan for Mary. He gets the ring. He's going to propose on a bridge at sunset. It's going to be beautiful. He's got the photographer hired. He's going to get down on one knee. He's going to capture the perfect photograph. It's going to be amazing. Mary's going to post all these pictures on Instagram. She's going to get a record number of likes and comments it's going to be exactly what she was hoping for they're they're incredibly excited with all these plans right they're going to get married in may they're going to go on a honeymoon to an all-inclusive resort in rome 
They've got plans to pay off their loans from Joe's trade school, and they're really excited about the future. They're going to live in an apartment for two years, and then Joe is going to build them their, their first starter home. He's a craftsman, after all. He's a carpenter by trade, and so he's got some skills. And then they're going to expand Joe's carpentry business, and, and, and one day they're going to hire help for him, and the moment that they get help, and the moment this business starts to grow, guess what they're going to do? They're going to start having babies. And they had plans, just like you would have plans, right? They, they cast a vision for their future, just like we do. They have expectations about where their life is going, just like all of us do. And God interrupted those plans with the most complicated, untimely, inconvenient, seemingly unfair assignment. An angel appears to this teenage girl, Mary, she's only 14, maybe 15 years old of age at this time. And the angel appears to her and says, you're going to give birth to a son. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. And she's looking on, she says, yeah, but, but I'm a virgin, so how is this going to happen? I don't get how this all works. Is this even possible? And the angel says, yes, the child will conceive by the Holy Spirit. And Mary makes this most beautiful, powerful, trusting submission to God when she says, may it be done to me according to your word. May it be done to me just as you have said that it would be done. She is on the spiritual high, right? She's super excited. I just was face to face with an angel like how many people could say that right she's super excited so she goes and she tells joe all that has just happened joe can you believe it i just had an interaction with an angel i'm so excited can you believe it he would be devastated he'd be so ticked off you know why because she just said by the way an angel told me that i am pregnant by the holy spirit now okay so Here's the thing, if, 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 your, if your girlfriend came to you and said, um, by the way, when you were off, gone, when you were away, an angel came to me and, and t- told me that I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit, what, what would you do in that situation? How, how would you have behaved? How would you have reacted? He's completely devastated. He, he, he's ticked off. He thinks he's insane. You're crazy. That kind of thing doesn't happen. We know how babies are made. That is not how babies are made. Okay, this is not, you, you're crazy. Let's, let's get you some help. All right, let's get you into the asylum. Okay, let's figure this out together. But, but luckily, Matthew tells us that the angel of the Lord came down. His mother, Mary, we're told, and Matthew was pledged to be married to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and didn't want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now, now a, a quick Jewish cultural lesson to clear up some confusion. When two parents in their day had committed their kids to marry each other, because that's how it worked, by the way, in their day, when two parents committed their kids to marry each other and when the bridal price was paid, then a legal marriage had taken place. But it was the Kedushin at that point. It was not the hoopah. The hoopah was the celebration of the marriage ceremony. And that happened several months, maybe even years later, because at the time of the Kedushin, when the two people were legally married, but they had not consummated the marriage at that point, when they were legally bound together because the two parents had come together and said, you two are going to be married, the husband or the male would go off and begin to build an expansion on his father's house or on a little house, maybe on his parents' property. And then when that is finished, then he would come back and he would retrieve his bride. They would have the hoopah, the celebration. They would consummate the marriage and then they would go on with the rest of their lives. So they are legally married at this point. It's during this engagement period, though, that all of this is taking place. And in every... Joseph had every right, right? Because in in their culture, Joseph had every right. When he came back from, from, you know, he, he he was called back, he was out building 
the, uh, the, the house, the extension on his parents' property. When he came back, he heard that, that, that Mary was, was pregnant. He had every right at that point to say, I'm going to pick up the stone and we're going to put you to death because you are obviously an adulterer and that's what we do with adulterers. He had every right to do that. And if he didn't, right? He had, because he was faithful to the law, he loved Mary. He wanted to divorce her quietly. He didn't want her life to be completely ruined. She did not, he did not want her to be an outcast forever, as certainly she would have been otherwise. But this is a life-wrecking, life-altering disappointment for Mary and Joseph, right? They had plans. They had expectations. They had cast a vision. And now none of that can come to be because of this interruption in their life. Public humiliation, personal betrayer. Right? Joseph trusted Mary. He loved her. He was ready to spend the rest of his life with her. And yet, in his mind, she cheated on him. And so, now what? Right? It's over. Life as we know it is over. And then think about Mary. Right? She's just this little girl. She's just a teenager. She didn't do anything wrong. She was doing everything right. She was following God, being faithful to God. And yet, this interruption, this disruption, this disappointment. She did exactly what God had asked her to do. And now her husband is considering divorcing her. And she's going to be shamed and ostracized from her community. She has no rights left. She is going, never going to be able to live a normal life within her society ever again. And so imagine what she's thinking. God, where are you? You know, I, I said yes to you. That This isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I was expecting. I did exactly as you had asked me to do, and this isn't fair. What I'm experiencing right here isn't fair, God. Everyone thinks I'm a harlot. My family has abandoned me. My community has ostracized me. For what? For me saying yes to God? For, for me trusting in God, for, for me giving my life to Christ, for me giving my life to God. So where are you, God? What are you doing here? I had plans. I had cast a vision for my life. I had expectations. Where are you? What are you doing? So what do you do, friends, when you feel like God is disappointing you? What do you do when you feel like you are disappointed in God? Some of you have had similar experiences this past year and a half. Life hasn't been easy. It's been hard. Maybe it's just simple as you had big plans and you planned to travel the world and then the world shut down. Or you planned to go to school or back to school and then the school stopped meeting in person. Or you planned by this time in life that you would have someone, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, that you'd be married maybe even. You didn't plan on being single. Or you are married and you planned on your marriage being better and you plan on it being healthy and you plan on it being thriving. But this year and a half has kind of beaten you up a little bit. And marriage has been hard. Or maybe you plan on having a baby by now, but you just haven't had that baby. Or you did conceive and the baby didn't make it. Or you got diagnosed with a horrible disease. Or you lost a loved one unexpectedly ruining your plans for retirement. I'm guessing that in, in so many of our lives, you're facing something that hasn't gone according to plan. All of us can probably think of something that has not gone according to plan. And God, in those moments, I don't understand. I don't understand what you're trying to do. I don't understand what you're trying to tell me. I don't understand the point of it all. And so what do you do in the middle of disappointments? I want to show you two truths that I, I think this story reveals about what God is up to maybe in the midst of disappointments. And I hope this speaks to you because I think it is good news and it's going to bring great joy, I hope, to some of you today. The first big thought is this. You don't have to understand the plan to trust that God has a purpose. Proverbs 19.21 actually is a very powerful verse. It says, many are the plans in a person's heart. Right? I have plans. You have plans. Mary and Joseph, they had plans. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but 
It is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And I don't know about you, but I, I thank God that he has a purpose, that he's just trying, he's not winging this whole thing, right? Uh, God has a purpose, right? He is an intended end. He is driving the world somewhere. I thank God that people's opinions cannot stop God's purpose. I thank God that a pandemic cannot stop God's purpose. I, I thank God that my will and my decisions and my bad behavior and my sin cannot stop God's purpose. I thank God that disappointments cannot stop God's purpose. Many are the plans in our hearts, but it is God's purpose that will prevail. We read in verse 20 of Matthew 1, Mary and Joseph's plans are wrecked, right? They're completely disappointed. Their lives seem like they are ruined. Now what? Well, Scripture says, after Joseph had considered this, he's thinking about divorcing Mary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And the angel continues by saying, Joseph... She'll give birth to a son, and you're going to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so, so wait a minute, God, could it be that actually in the midst of my disappointment that you have a plan? In the midst of what seems like my life being ruined and wrecked, that you have a purpose in all of this? That you are working something out? That you actually have a purpose? That you are driving this in my life and the world to an intended ending? That you're up to something, that you were doing something in the midst of what seems like a horrible situation? Friends, you don't have to understand the plan to understand that God has a purpose. You don't, and we can't oftentimes. You don't have to understand the plan to understand and to trust that God has a purpose. And the second thought then is that your disappointment with God might actually be a divine appointment from God. Now, this isn't universal, of course. I'm not giving you all the answers as to why bad things happen in the world and why your disappointments are what they are, but could it be that disappointment in God might actually be a divine appointment from God? Aren't there times in life when, when you might find yourself disappointed and let down and wondering where God is? And your disappointment with God might actually be a divine appointment from God? I think some of us who are looking back on those times, looking back on those experiences, realize that, yes, in hindsight, yes, of course, God was up to something. I didn't know it at the time. Right then it felt like a horrible, horrible experience, a disappointment after ruined life, after all of it, the pain, the agony. I didn't want it to be in, I didn't want to be in that valley then. I don't want to be trenching through that valley, but I knew maybe looking back from the mountaintop that of course the view is beautiful. I didn't know then, but maybe God had an appointment in the midst of my disappointment. Maybe God is still doing something. Even in the middle of our greatest disappointments, even in the middle of our pain, God is still at work. Can you trust that? Can you believe that? That God wants what's best for you? I mentioned at the beginning of 2020 that I was so excited because we were going to move forward with our building expansion and it would include this coffee shop. We, we, we had dreamed that this would be a hub of the, the, you know, the central hub of our entire community, that it would just be a great light and a great draw for all of our people to come into the space to learn about the love of God. And then the pandemic hit and it made us completely revisit that vision and that plan. And so we started praying about what to do and how to move forward and, and, and new revelations about our community started to be revealed and and new revelations about our culture and where the church fits in and what the church is and and how it should function came to us and we became convinced that that the first coffee shop that we build shouldn't be connected to our building but it should be a standalone building anyway and so the, the impact that we're believing the the bridge is what we're, we're calling this what the impact that we believe that it's going to have will be far greater than if it was attached to this building but we would have pushed forward with what we thought was a great plan, possibly to realize that it wasn't the best plan. And that's often the case for a lot of us, right? We push forward with what we think are good plans, and God may have said, you know what, I have a better plan for you. 
And so I need to disrupt where you are going in order to get you where I want you to be. You may have some things right now that haven't gone the way that you had hoped. Your job you thought was going to be the answer to all your woes, you just dread getting up in the morning to have to go to. The guy that you thought was the one, you know, when that initial luster wore off, you realize that he was selfish. And he only ever takes and he never gives and he only ever receives, but he never cares for you. And 2020 was going to be the year that you were going to retire, but then not only did you lose your job, you lost your pension. And now your savings accounts are empty. This wasn't what you had planned. This is the opposite of what you had planned. And and I hope that you'll find comfort, albeit frustrating, yes, in the beginning, that your disappointment with God might actually be a divine appointment with God. See, Mary and Joseph were trying to figure things out. What are we going to do, right? Just when they started to get things together, Caesar's Augustus issues this stupid decree, and now they have to go to their hometown to, to give the census, which is horribly inconvenient. You'll often see on little Christmas cards, Jerry and Mo, Jerry, Joseph, Joseph, Jerry, Joseph and Joseph and Mary um, riding on a donkey, and they're like, "Oh, that's that's so cute and so comfortable." And like, I wish I could ride on that donkey. That looks pretty nice, right? But like, yeah, like this is a horror. Like, we don't even understand how horrible of a journey this was. It was a 90-mile trip on a donkey that would take over two weeks. Two weeks to get there. Remember what Joseph did, All right? He was a carpenter, meaning that he gets paid when he builds things. And so he's not building any things in this two-week journey. And so he's not getting paid. And then he had the pressure of protecting his pregnant wife-to-be, traveling through the Judean desert where it was freezing at night and, and snowing at night. And, and they had to go through one of the most terrifying patches where they were in constant danger, is the Valley of the Jordan River, heavily forested area. There were robbers and there were lions and there were bears and there were all sorts of wild animals that would happily tear them apart. And there are thieves and robbers who lived in these forests looking for, for prey like Joseph having to protect his pregnant wife. And so Joseph, you know, got his very, very pregnant wife in these horrible conditions, facing potential threat everywhere they go, traveling on this massive journey on a donkey. And I'm going to be honest with you, right? I, I've traveled with a very, very pregnant wife on a, you know, three-hour road trip that took five hours, heavily, air-conditioned car, comfortable seating, and it took five hours because every 20 minutes, what do pregnant women have to do? Go to the bathroom, right? So it almost cost us our marriage, right? So how can, how can Joseph and Mary, Joseph, Joseph and Mary try to get to Bethlehem on this donkey having to stop every 20 minutes to use the bathroom? I mean, come on, this was not ideal conditions. And then they get to Bethlehem and they don't have hotels.com, so they have to find the only place that they can to find shelter. And it's literally a hole in a wall. It is a cave carved out of a rock. This isn't a barn like we think of barns. This is an HGTV. There's no shiplap involved in this barn, all right? This was a car. This is a cave in the side of a rock. Nasty, literal hole in the wall. Filled with animals. And it was a traumatic birth with no help of a doctor or an epidural. And these gross, dirty shepherds come and want to hold your baby. And before you can even get home, there is a decree issued for your life. Caesar Augustus says, I want that baby dead. And so go kill the baby just imagine that in our world today right you've got no income because you're not working you just had your first baby everyone's whispering behind your back about how despicable you are and how shameful the situation is and now you're literally on the run because you're doing what god has asked you to do this isn't peace on earth this is hell on earth 
Where's the peace in all this? This isn't what I had planned, right? If you take Mary and, and fast forward all the way to the cross of the mother of Jesus and she's standing there and, and she's looking up at, at Jesus, she, she would have remembered, yes, Jesus, I, yes, Lord, I said yes to you. Do to me as your word says, I said yes to you. I love you so much. I've committed my life to you. I said yes to you. And now she's looking up at her son, right? The, the baby that she born in that cave, who she raised and nurtured all those years and now he's dying on a cross. Hanging there, people spitting on him, cursing him, shouting at him. He doesn't even look human, right? He's so disfigured. It's her flesh. It's her blood. Man, this is not the plan she had. This is not what she anticipated. This is not the vision that she cast for her life or for Jesus' life. And while the creation is mocking God in the flesh, Jesus, the creator, he looks up and says, God, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And then he lifts up his head toward heaven and says, Father, I did what you sent me to do. It is finished. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And the mother of Jesus, who said yes to God 33 or so years earlier, watches her son die. Not what she had planned, not what she had envisioned. But she didn't have to understand the plan to understand that God had a purpose through it all. When your life isn't going the way that you had hoped or the way that you had planned, when things don't go as expected according to the vision that you had cast for yourself, what you had expected your life to be like, when... It doesn't turn out the way that you had hoped. It's easy to turn to God and say, God, why didn't you do more? It's easy to turn to God and say, God, why weren't you there? It's easy to turn to God and say, God, what were you doing in the midst of this? Why didn't you change things? Why didn't you intervene? You're all powerful. You're supposedly good, God. Where are you? You didn't even give me what I wanted, what I planned, what I expected. Where are you, God? And when we say things like that, don't we kind of sound a little bit like the entitled children on Christmas morning who don't get the presents that they expected to be under the Christmas tree? I have plenty of thoughts on this. I'm like, and we're, and we're already over time here, so I'm going to try to cut this short here. But I have plenty of thoughts, even if I don't have sufficient answers for all of the reasons that bad things happen in the world. But I do know for certain that God sent his son into the world, this child lying in this filthy, humble, major. God sent his child into the world because he loves you. And so whatever is happening in your life, whatever disappointment you're going through, whatever pain or agony or frustration you're going through, whatever disappointment you're experiencing, it is not because God doesn't love you. It can't be. Jesus lying in that manger proves to us that God loves us. God sent his son into the world to prove that he loves us. He died upon a cross to prove that he loves us. And so when you know God, when you love him, when you have faith in him, when you understand his character, when you realize just how much he loves us and the plans that he has for us and that he is pushing the world to an intended end, that he is bringing our world and our experiences someplace, when you believe this and when you know this, when you trust this, when you know that he is the giver of good gifts, even though we make plans and our plans don't come to fruition, we have expectations that they don't always happen. God's purpose will. God's plan will. You don't have to understand the plan to understand that God has a purpose. No one could have planned that God would become a man, conceived by the Holy Spirit, live a perfect life, but die a sinner's death. Nobody could have thought that. That God would raise him again. Mary and Joseph had a plan. I have a plan. You have a plan. We have expectations. But God has a purpose, friends. I'm going to invite Emily uh, and the band forward. We're going to sing one final song as we conclude our service together. And, and here's the thing, right? Mary and Joseph had a plan, yes. We all have a plan. 
God have a purpose. And here is the good news. Here is the good news. You, me, we are that purpose. You are the purpose of God. Here's what verse 21 says. Mary will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. Why? Because he will save his people from their sins. We're a wreck. We're, 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 we're ruined, friends. We are, we're, we're, we're pitiful. We're sinners. We need forgiveness. We need healing. We need hope. And so God in his love for us sends us a savior. Not a promise that your life is going to go exactly to plan as you would plan it. He sends us a savior, not the belief that everything that you expect and every vision you cast for yourself will come as it should be. No, he sends us a savior in the midst of our trial, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our agony and our disappointment. God sends us a savior. And this Christmas season, we have hope because we have a savior. And we have peace because we have a Savior. And we have joy because we have a Savior. And we have love because we have a God who loved us enough to send us a Savior. Heavenly Father, I thank you that in the midst of our pain, in the midst of our trials, our expectations that, that don't turn out the way we want them to turn out, that you didn't put a slap a Band-Aid over it and say, okay, well, you know, this will temporarily appease you. You, you, you saw us broken and you didn't say, this will temporarily appease you. Yes, you know what? I'm just going to try to make you happy for a moment, but then we would miss out on the eternity of joy before us. No, you sent us a savior. You sent us a healer. You saw that we were people who had a cancer within us. Sin was a cancer that was eating us alive and, and you didn't just slap a band-aid in our arm and say, okay, well, it's at least going to make you feel better. It's going to make you feel better. No, you said, I need to come and I need to carve that cancer out of you. I need to do a surgery upon your heart and upon your life so that you can finally get to a point where you turn to me, the healer, the savior, and commit your life and surrender your life and turn to me so that I can heal you. Do not be content with just a band-aid upon your disappointment. I have come to save you. I am bringing the world somewhere. Christ is born because I am saving you. He will save his people from their sins. Heavenly Father, we commit our lives for those of us in this position to do so. Father, we commit my life to you. I acknowledge that I am a sinner. I acknowledge that I need a savior. And I surrender, Father, all of my attempts at saving myself, all of my selfish ambitions, all of my conceit, Father, I, I surrender it. I, I let it die. I lay it down, Father. I want to lay it down. I want to humble myself. And I pray to God that you would save me. Through your love, through the power of your love, save me, Father.